Welcome to Canada's podcast. At Silicon Valley Bank, we help innovative technology and life science companies grow. If you're ready to take your next step, discover how Silicon Valley Bank's founder-friendly financial solutions, industry insights, and connections can help you move your bold ideas forward fast. Go to www.svb.com slash Canada slash connect. Take your next step with Silicon Valley Bank. Hi, this is Celine Williams hosting from Ontario for Canada's podcast. My guest today is Dr. Robin Bourgeois, who is an associate professor in the Center for Women's and Gender Studies at Brock University and is currently serving as the university's acting vice provost, Indigenous Engagement. Robin is also the keynote speaker at the Niagara Leadership Summit for Women on October 26th. Welcome, Robin. Well, thank you for having me. I am very excited to talk to you. Um, I think everything that you're up to is incredibly cool. And um, I want to start with kind of a big, broad question, which is, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are right now doing the things you're doing? Because it's all really interesting. For sure. Um, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a long story, but important story, um, because um, my life has really led me to this point in many ways. Um, and it starts with, you know, um, a few things. Uh, I am Cree. So my family, my mom is white, my dad is Cree. And my family comes from Treaty 8 territory, uh, which is northern Alberta, but I grew up in the Okanagan. Um, I had a, a tough childhood. Um, I had issues with indigeneity. My parent or my uh, some of my family thought it was best that we might uh, pretend we're not indigenous. Um, so there was always a struggle. We knew we were, but um, we were disconnected from our community and our teachings and culture. Um, I also had an abusive family um, and uh, had some violence happen to me as a young person. And um, by the time I was uh, 18, yes, just after or just after my 18th birthday, I graduated high school. And within six months, I was uh, in Vancouver's downtown east side. I was being trafficked for sexual exploitation. Um, I was really lucky. I got a second chance that a lot of people don't get. And for me, school was always a way empowerment. It was a, it was a place where I felt strength. And I realized that it was a way for me to be able to change the world because I wanted to, I wanted to change the world so that no one else would have to go through anything like I had gone through. So I went to university um, and I earned a degree and somebody said, you know, you, you should keep going and you should do a PhD and, a, and whatever. And so I did. I kept going and going um, to go to school and ended up getting my PhD. Um, during that time, though, I spent a lot of time as an activist um, because having survived that experience. And so that was in the 90s, late 90s. And if you know anything about the downtown east side in that era, that was the time when Robert Picton was killing women. And I knew some of those women. And so I got involved in activism and I have spent the last 20 plus years actually working from coast to coast. Now I work from uh, Vancouver all the way across to Mi'kma'ki. And I've been involved in activism. I worked with communities to create anti-violence responses. And um, that it has been the most important part of my work uh, for the last 20 plus years and my research as well. 
Um, I got called actually as an expert and experiential witness at the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls in 2018. So I testified there. Um, and that's the most important part of my work. Uh, I'm also, of course, a professor. So I do teach, which is another passion. But right now I've got into senior administrative council because I'm helping the university pursue decolonization and indigenization. And so my work is a little different now. I'm doing a lot of um, helping the university um, really pursue decolonization. And that's a lot of really important work. So that's pretty much the story of how I got to where I am today. <laughs> um, I have a lot of questions. I'm sure that's not surprising. I, I want to um, I want to make an observation and you can tell me if this it does not resonate, but when you were talking about the work you're doing now at the university around decolonization and, and indigenization, to me, it's immediately what I hear is this is another form of activism that you're doing. And it's in the world of a university. It's in the world of bureaucracy and whatever the case may be, but it really is a form of active. It's a different form of activism. Yeah, I agree with you. I absolutely agree. You know, I really think that broadly anyway, I think activism is, we tend to want to think of it as just people in the streets, but I think 100%. it's bigger than that. And people are fighting for change at all different levels. And so I, I think your observation is absolutely accurate because that's really the work I'm doing is really fighting for change within the system. And I won't say fighting because generally the university's on board. It's part of our strategic plan, but I'm just helping really make those structural changes that will make meaningful change for Indigenous peoples at the university and non-Indigenous peoples too. I mean, I think the things that we are doing are going to benefit all of us. Um, in fact, I often argue that I think the thing that's going to save us in the world, you know, whether it be from a pandemic or global climate change is a return to Indigenous ways of knowing and doing. So I think it's beneficial to everyone, but it definitely feels like activism some days. <laughs> Well, and I appreciate that because I do think, I think what you said is really astute. We often think of activism as being outside the systems, right? It is, yes. and it's fighting and it, it's advocating for change in a meaningful way, whether it's inside or outside a system. And I think that yes. there's a, the opportunity to change the systems that perpetuate the problem. That is, that is very important activism and we don't always see it that way. And so I just wanted to yes. observe that because I, I was like, I think it's really cool that your the work you get to do, the, you know, the fully paid, fully paid, like the bulk of your work work is actually still activism, which is something you're clearly passionate about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it is. It's, I get to live my dream every day in many ways, you know, because I'm getting to see things happen. I think that's what's really incredible about it is when you actually see the things start to move and you're like, wow, you know, we tend to think of social institutions, whether it's a university or even healthcare or governance. You know, we think of those things as these big, huge, permanent structures that can't be moved. And yet we do it all the time. And it's magical. And that keeps me going every day. I think that's fun. I, I am very impressed with everything that you are doing. And I, I mean, I literally was like, I love it all. I want to talk about all of it Thank and we you. will not get to all of it, but I would like to <laughs> ideally four hours later, we would still be talking right. about these things. Um, I do want to go back to something you said, which was that, you know, you had the opportunity to change your life at a certain point in time. And I think that that transition point, transformation point, whatever it was, is a real opportunity for people to understand how stories can change because we, 
we have perceptions of people. I always say that, like, if you know someone in high school, this is always my basic story. You know, someone in high school, you meet them 20 years later, you still respond. Most people still respond to them as that person from high school, even though they will have had lived 20 different lives in that last 20 years. Yes. Yeah. I think when we can understand what that change looked like for you, it helps us recognize that people were always, always changing. And so I'm curious, it's a very long lead up to the question, which is what was the, how did that opportunity come around? Because it's hard. That's a tough, it's a really tough, I can't even, I don't even know how to emphasize enough. It's a really tough situation that you were in and you've done incredible, you clearly, this opportunity was life-changing in an incredible way. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, um, in many ways, like I wasn't in control of that change point. Uh, you know, I, the whole way it went down in the end was that, uh, a police officer overheard me screaming and released me and I took off and ran away and I just, oh my gosh, to escape and, and go back and try to fix my life after that. And it was that moment. I, I just knew I could go and, I, I want to say this. I want this to be really clear for people. It's not like my path was straight. And I've talked about this at the Negra uh, Urged Leadership Summit for Women before, is we imagine it's a straight line, but it's not. I came out of that experience and then I was like, okay, well, first of all, I've been drugged a whole bunch. So I detoxed and I had to recover from trauma and PTSD and um, the shame of it all too. There's a lot of shame. In fact, one of the things people don't often know is that I didn't talk about my story for 10 years. I literally kept it quiet. And I was like, I just want to go on with my life. I want to pretend this didn't happen. And yet I was suffering. And in fact, I was really self-destructive. I can look back now and I can realize that I probably should be dead because I started drinking heavily. I took risks with my own life uh, because I didn't have any value in myself. And then that's really where the turning point comes because I went to do my PhD and I was struggling and I had moved my focus to missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And finally, someone had the courage to ask me what was going on and why this was such a struggle for me and what was going on in my life. And I had the courage to tell them my story. And it changed my entire life for me. That moment even more so changed my entire life because I realized that I had been holding myself. um, I've been, I've been really punishing myself and putting it out into the world and speaking my truth changed everything. There was a huge release. I reconnected with my indigenous ways of knowing and doing, which saved me. I started drumming, changed my life. Um, all of that was really important. And I just, I've always been convinced that whole time. I always knew from the moment that I escaped till, I mean, I still feel that way. I want to change the world. That was it. And I knew that it wasn't easy. I mean, I still stumble. There are days that are good and there are days that are bad, right? Uh, that happens. It's, it's the, it's the complex nature of the trauma. Um, but I keep going forward. That's the, that's the end of the, at the end of the day, I'm always trying to move forward and I'm always trying to be the change for this world. And so it's been an incredible journey. And I just knew that, you know what, me, I've talked about this with other people who've gone through trauma. Um, And I have actually a really great friend who is the daughter of a a couple that were murdered. And we've talked about it uh, often because we, we don't, we don't, we wish things it hadn't happened. Of course we wish that. And yet when we look at where we are now and the fierceness of our advocacy and the work we do, it's like this made me though, right? In many ways. And that's a really complex thing to 
actually think about Mm -hmm. that, you know, you, yeah, of course we wish it didn't happen. And yet because it happened, we made certain decisions to fight for change. And I think that's huge. Um, but it really wasn't a straight journey. I really, I really encourage people to understand that I've struggled. Uh, some days I have good days. Some days I take a step forward and then 10 back, you know, it just happens, but it's always about going, moving forward, moving yeah. forward and, and, you know, really learning to take care of myself and understand that that was as important to the journey. And then just really committing, you know, even when I don't feel good to show up and to keep um, challenging the system and, and supporting people. That's what I do. Right. I mean, my, my, my spirit name is laughing otter caring woman and the elder who named me, um, pick the caring woman part because she said, you care selflessly about people. You every day fight for others. And she said, that's such an important part of who you are. And it's the gift that you bring to the world. So that's, it, it, it's an interesting trajectory, but I, you know, I just, I just needed to do something with that experience. The team at Silicon Valley Bank in Canada can help you move your bold ideas forward fast, bringing global expertise to founders, investors, and innovators. Visit www.svb.com slash Canada slash connect to find out more. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I think what you said is that it's not a straight path and having people understand that is so important because when you're on the outside and you see someone who's very successful and you see someone who's doing the work that you're doing, the assumption can be, well, they just, they step by step by step by step. It's just this nice, easy, straight path to get there. And it's so rarely the case. And I think that talking about it and shedding light on the fact that you know, they're worse. There are, they're going to continue to be stumbles. It's not, a, but it is about taking continuously taking those small steps forward. Even if you take a stumble back continuously exactly. continuing to do that, it doesn't have to be big leaps forward. It's not about the size of the steps you're taking. It's about the consistency of them. Exactly. Well, and you know what else I, I want people to know it too, is that, you know, I had all kinds of privileges that made my journey out of this possible. And you know what? I, I never want, I always worry when I tell people my story that they'll say, okay, look at where Robin was and look at what she's done now. So anybody can do it. Right. That's not entirely true. You know, like when I, when I got out, um, you know, my mom had access to money, so she was able to pay for things to transport me home and things like that. Other families wouldn't have had that. Um, you know, so there are also privileges that made my journey a little easier than some other folks. And I think that matters too. I think that really matters. And I don't want people to hold me up as the measuring stick um, because we're all at different places and we can't do that to each other. We can't measure where we are in our lives against each other. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Well, and it perpetuates that shame cycle, right? Like part of the reason we don't talk about the, and, and I'm fully disclosing, I'm making an assumption here, but part of the reason that, for example, you may not have talked about this for 10 years is shame. And when you are right. And when you are also then comparing yourself to someone else who has done something differently, it perpetuates that shame. So it, by sharing the stories, by emphasizing my story is not your story we can start to break that cycle that is so inherent in how we operate in this, you know, I mean, colonized world is really part of, but like it, this is part of part and parcel inherent in so many ways that we show up and operate and it's problematic. Exactly. And you know what I've seen, and that's the beauty of, of sharing my story is that I have 
literally shared my story and people have come to me and said, I have a similar story. And they started talking. And I've seen so many women who have after, particularly women, um, have come to me and said, I have the same story. And they've started to talk and the healing that happens out of that, it it's exactly like you said, it breaks that cycle of shame because that's what it was. I believed the hype in my head. I believed what my pimp had said to me. Nobody will believe you. Nobody will ever love you again. Everybody will think you are dirty and you are useless and you are just garbage. And so that's what's going on in my head. And I mean, I will say at least with sex trafficking, there is still, I mean, we make fun of prostitution and sex work all the time. We make jokes. I mean, how many times do you hear jokes about dead hookers, which is so problematic. And Mm -hmm. so in my head, that's what I'm hearing. And I'm seeing it out in the world. And I'm going, yeah, I'm not telling anybody this story because this is what's going to happen to me. And the funny thing is though, uh, in all of the, it's been, oh my gosh, now almost 10 years since I've been talking, actually more. And I've never had that happen. Not once to my face. Mm-hmm. Ever. I mean, maybe somebody says it behind my back. I don't know. But people have generally been receptive and they've thanked me. And then it's all those people who've come forward and said, I have a similar story. Um, and I think that's powerful. There's something powerful in in sharing stories, and that becomes the path to healing. Absolutely. It's easy to forget that most humans, there are always exceptions but they want to care and help at their core. Mm -hmm. And when they hear stories like this, again, there's always exceptions, but most people, they want to help, they empathize, they, you know, they want to know what they can do, how they can support you. And yet we are so wired in today's society, not naturally wired. I don't like natural brain wiring, but like into, we are socialized to think that strong people don't ask for help. Strong people don't talk about their trauma, strong people, all of this crap. That's not real. And when you speak about it, you step into, look at all these people who are receptive and it helps them open up and maybe they're curious and it opens their eyes to something they weren't aware of. Right. Like there's The fact that we live in a country that has as many issues as we do around the the missing and, and murdered Indigenous women, and I, and I want to talk about that activism, but how many people, especially if you grew up in a city like Toronto, didn't don't know about that? How many people were shocked by the revelation of the of the residential schools this year? They didn't they didn't know this was a, a thing until <laughs> like I, I, so. I went to school in downtown Toronto, Bloor and Spadina area. So the, 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 I I think it was called the native center at the time. I might be wrong, but it was, it's right there. And I remember in 1996, when I was in high school, the end of high school, the kids that came into Toronto from the residential schools that had been shut down and the flood that happened that summer and the stories, because they were right there. And I know people my age who were in Toronto had no idea. And I just happened to go to school right there. Yeah. So this is how we open these things up, change the world. People want to care. They, I mean, most people, again, can't talk for everyone, but most (laughs) people do want to care and they do want to do something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's what I get all the time. I see that. I, I even see that with my work on decolonization at Brock. I really, you know, I expected kind of to hit 
loggerheads quite often and people and stumbling blocks, but people are really eager. They're really behind this. And what they just want is someone to walk the walk with them and, and figure out how to implement things. And I think that's really wonderful. And I think I I agree with you. I think at the end of the day, most people have empathy and and can understand and want to make change, but I still think we have issues. I mean, the fact that people are shocked by residential schools, you know, We've known this. I wrote this in an article. We've known this for generations. We've yep. carried those stories. My grandfather talked about bury or digging graves at his residential school. So we've known this. And I, I have to kind of have a little bit of sympathy for folks because I know the system is set up so we don't learn these things. I mean, I'm I, I'm going to guess, given that you said 96, we're about the same age. And um, we I never learned anything in school. I can barely remember touching it, right? At all. And that's why I say, if I hadn't gone to school where I went to school, I would have had no idea, right? That's the only reason I knew about it. Yep, exactly. And the system is designed that way. So I have a little bit of sympathy for people because in the back in the day, I would have been really angry and been like, how do you not know this? But the system is set up that way. The system makes sure that you don't know because uh, that's how you get complicity, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, And the fact that, I mean, I love the work that you're doing to highlight these things and to, to change the awareness around them and to, to, you know, to shine a spotlight on what has really happened, especially to Indigenous women in this country. Yes, um, yes. And so I know it's not necessarily, I'm sure it's part of what you're doing at Brock as well. Um, but I'm, I'm curious. Oh, God, I don't know. There's so many questions I want to ask, but I'm really curious um, how you got involved in that level of activism and, and if you've seen it, this is really my question. Has anything really changed? (laughs) Is there, is there any progress being made around this? Because I think people are scared. I think there's a lot of people who are scared to say the wrong thing and are scared to, to step into something they don't understand that's different from their experience. And I think that's, is still, hence the shock over residential schools as an example, right? It's like, oh, we just didn't know, but how do you ask the question? And so are you seeing, that's my real question is, are you seeing with this activism with that things are changing? Is there progress being made? What can we do to continue to support Mm -hmm. the hopefully progress that is being made? Yeah. You know what? I do. In some ways I do see progress. I will, I will tell you, I can think back to some of the very first rallies. I remember being in Toronto and having a rally in downtown Toronto um, and there'd be like 10 of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, uh, now we can get several hundred people out to things. Um, I spoke at an event for Orange T-Shirt Day on September 30th here in St. Catharines, and it was a last minute. It came together in a week. And we, the, the, I couldn't believe how many people were there to be part of those discussions and, and to listen to people. And I see it at the university too. I see people are eager. I do think though, um, there's a few things. I think people are scared and I think, um, don't know what, what the right thing is to do. And they don't want to make a mistake. And I want to tell everybody, guess what? Make the mistake. We all do it. Um, and we will help you. That's as indigenous people, we will help you. We will tell you, we'll be like, no, that's not cool. Or no, this is, yeah, you're on the right track. We would, we will do that. Um, but don't be afraid to make a mistake. It happens. I think inaction is in some ways even worse, right? Because inaction doesn't teach you anything. Um, if you, uh, do, you know, may ask a question, have a 
difficult conversation. Those things can be really helpful. I mean, failure is your best learning (laughs) tool, right? So I think that's important, but I think we can do more. And I think, you know, one thing I always encourage folks to do is educate yourself. You know, there's a Truth and Reconciliation Commission report. Go read that. There's a final report of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Go read that. And then take action. Uh, There's each one of those, for example, has... Uh, One has 94, one has, I forget what the final number was of the National Inquiry. It's huge though. You can go through the list of of recommendations and see which ones you're like, you could do in your own life and start doing those little pieces. I also think folks can just support Indigenous peoples. That's so important. You know, when we're having a rally, like today is October 4th um, and it is the uh, Sisters in Spirit Day. So it's a national day of, of remembrance for missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Go find an event in your community and go check that out. Those are the things that we really need. But don't be afraid. You know what? We're in this together and we're walking the road together. That's the whole spirit of our treaties always were, that we're in a relationship together and that we are going to walk together through that journey. And I think that's what's really important um, is we have to do it. And it's uncomfortable. It can be really challenging. It can be dissettling for people. Uh, You know, when you suddenly see a whole whole world that you didn't know exist, that can be really disturbing. It's hard. um, But I also want to challenge people and say, imagine what it's like to live that. Imagine what it's like for Indigenous peoples to live it every day. And then that discomfort you're feeling isn't so bad. Yeah, I love that. Um, I want to be very mindful of our time together. And so I want to ask the question, which is, is there anything that we didn't get to today that you want to share with our listeners or viewers um, or something you want to emphasize? Because I think we've covered a lot of, I mean, again, I could talk for four hours. (laughs) For sure. I think, I I think the thing I really want to highlight is I really want to invite people to come out to the Niagara um, Leadership Summit for Women. It's a really important event here in the community. Um, It's an opportunity to discuss the issues around women's leadership and to celebrate and amplify. Um, It's such a great experience. I'm so honored to have been asked to be um, the keynote speaker, especially because the topic this year is the courage to lead. And I think that's really important. I think um, we need to have that conversation, you know, that it's still really hard to be a a woman leader in this country, even given all the progress we've made. um, And that we have to find the courage to lead because a lot of us do it every single day. And I think it's important to recognize that and celebrate it. So I really encourage people to join us. It's a fantastic event. um, And it's always the highlight of my year here in the Niagara region. I love that. We will, we will definitely have a link to the summit in the show notes for anyone who would like to attend or learn more. Um, Robin, thank you. You are incredible. And I, uh, I know I've said it 18 times. I will, I really am admire everything that you are up to in the world. I think it's really fantastic. Uh, and I appreciate you sharing your time with me today. Thank you so much. We say in Cree, we say Kinanas Komaten, and it's it's a thank you, but it also means I'm grateful for you. And thank you for taking the time to um, share my story with your listeners. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And for those listeners. Thank you for listening to Canada's podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe to all our channels to get the latest podcasts from entrepreneurs and incredible activists like Robin across Canada. The Silicon Valley Bank team in Canada can help you take your next step. Find out more about the bank that has nearly 40 years of global experience supporting venture-backed tech, 
and life science companies and their investors. We're in Canada to help leading innovators reach the next stage faster. Visit www.svb.com slash Canada slash connect. Take your next step with Silicon Valley Bank.